my name is Bart Farrell, and I am a tech community enthusiast living in Bilbao in the north of Spain. I've been living here for about nine years and been involved in tech communities for about five. And today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to my very first guest to be featured in the data on Kubernetes community, Asir Azaceta, who is a cloud security architect in the IBM European Center for Competence. Let's see if I got that right. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Okay, good. Now, we had the pleasure of working together uh, several years ago. You were focused on IT ops, DevOps, um, and then from, from that point as well uh, to DevSecOps. And at that point is in, in the company we're working at, people were just starting to use Kubernetes. But before we, before we get into that, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, because you're a man of many hats. No, no yeah. coincidence behind me, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, yeah, as you said, well, it's a pleasure first, first of all to, to be here with you. Thank you, Bart. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a, a man of many heads, as you said. I've been working at, from uh, things like uh, developing Internet of Things embedded stuff and designing the, the electronics and things like that to operating systems uh, in, in production or mission critical stuff, things like 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Uh, to managing security for a company, as you uh, as you well know, um, as well as collaborating with developers, working on different languages from plain C to Ruby, Java, whatever, developing mobile applications. So yeah, I've done a lot of things always around technology, um, always with the, with the a business mind. Let's say that um, technology is is great. I'm I'm a pretty fan of technology itself, but I know that it has to be there for a, for a reason. So otherwise, it's just for fun. And, and we don't get paid for fun that often. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I, I think I've got a, a, a different point of view for the different perspectives on whatever you want to throw me at, <laughs> in this case, Kubernetes. So I can take a look from the operation sides, from the development sides, uh, from the security side, and uh, even from the data side, as I've been, uh, don't tell many people, but I've been database lecturer myself. Uh, so um, I know a bit about data, but that's not my my strongest area. Um, and probably what I can bring here more is a mixture and a focus on, on security uh, for data and Kubernetes in general. All right, cool. Well, can you just tell us a little bit about, I mean, where were you on June 7th, 2014, when Kubernetes started? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, I was uh, trying to, to to foster my startup based on the Internet of Things with hardware and and so on. So that was really really fun, really really sweating. And, <laughs> and well, yeah, I was not thinking on Kubernetes at all yet. Although uh, uh, with the things I've learned now about Kubernetes. Uh, probably I've been into Kubernetes like, a, a, I don't know, like a, a great fan of it for the Internet of Things. Yeah. Okay. I, I was, the, first I, the first time working with it was probably when, around 2017? Uh, well, my first contact with uh, Kubernetes, yeah, would be that, around that, 2017, 2018, yeah, around those years. Yeah. And you remember when you first heard about it, what was it that kind of caught your attention? What uh, well, the first thing was uh, what, what's happening under the hood. I mean, but what are you talking about? It's 
Now they, we've got containers, contain what you said. Uh, I know about programs, I know about hosts, I know about applications. Um, what's that about a container? And when you start digging about it, you, you learn about it, and it's pretty easy stuff, let's say, in plain concepts. But the, the first things I was thrown to were we are talking about immutable infrastructure, we are yeah. talking about images. Um, about containers we can migrate from here to there with no effort it was mm. something something like a dream like the i don't know the java dream where you could code once and develop deployed um, thousands of times different platforms so it's something like the same it was kind of confusing and exciting at the same time yeah no i think i think that's how it was for a lot of people because trying to explain to people a lot of whom didn't even have a devops background and then we're taking it to this level we're starting to talk about containers docker mesos things like that. I mean, it was just an endless amount of technologies that were coming in. But uh, do you think there was a big cultural shift when people started getting into Kubernetes, particularly from a security perspective? It is. I mean, there has to be, and we are still in the, in the trip, let's say. This is a journey. It's um, like, like it is the journey to cloud for many organizations. You know, there are a lot of uh, companies which are cloud native, so they know everything about cloud, they uh, fans about cloud and they do everything in cloud, but there are still the major or the majority of the companies are not cloud native. So they have to move to the cloud if they will. Um, and there are a lot of drivers for the adoption of cloud. So they're into that trip. And we are into that trip in security as well, both for cloud itself and for uh, containers. Let me say containers instead of Kubernetes, because there's, as you mentioned, there are many flavors. I mean, Mesos, whatever, Docker, right? You know, a lot of buzzwords you can hear. So yeah, um, I think Kubernetes is the, the main um, player right now with different flavors at the same time, but uh, the base could be Kubernetes. Uh, but talking about containers in general. But what do, you, what do you think makes it so much more attractive than the other options that people can find on the market? Well, I think it is about the ecosystem, you know. Um, well, you've got some other initiatives that maybe didn't got, for whatever the reason, enough traction to, to move into, into the mainstream. Um, and you've got others being company backed, like uh, Docker, for instance, where you, you've got, well, they had a, a lot of, um, uh, let's say, uh, adoption of open source and, and so on, but still is pretty company backed. Uh, but Kubernetes has a huge community, has a lot of tools, had a lot of traction. So it's it's the community that it's built around Kubernetes that has made Kubernetes so big. Mm -hmm. um, and for instance, then you've got other solutions like Red Hat OpenShift, which is like you could say Kubernetes on steroids. So uh, you want to do a lot of things with Kubernetes, but um, you have to do it yourself. Of course, there's a lot of support from the community, uh, but then you've got OpenShift that comes out of the box. So that's magically, you've got everything installed. So of course, you've got fans of Kubernetes, fans of OpenShift and of other solutions, but uh, I think there are plenty of them for everybody to choose. So um, I think that's the main reason for Kubernetes to be initially successful. And, and then the rest comes after that. I mean, when you start getting traction, there are a lot of things a lot of people coming on board that brings knowledge, new solutions, and whatever. And security is one of, of the items that I think that at the beginning of Kubernetes development, it was not forgotten, but it was you know left behind because it's kind of a 
you know, right? It's like, let's do all the fun stuff. And then we add security later rather than have security. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's security. You, you yeah, said it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why the, the thing is that um, probably it's because Kubernetes comes from more from the development side of the world, the IT world, that they focus on, on how to deploy solutions that are able to do what, what Kubernetes does, like automatically, that, that's black magic, man. So um, the, the containers coming up and down and they orchestrate and happens everything. So that's pretty fun, that's pretty cool. And so, okay, what, what about security? And then someone realized uh, this has to be secure because people tend to think that as it's containerized, must be secure, you know? You can utilize the container in the truck or the container in the seat, and it's closed, so it has the door. But containers in the IT world doesn't have that door. So um, yeah, uh, that's uh, the part that they left behind. But in the in the latest years, they have uh, really developed that part as well. And there have been many um, software developers and, and companies that have come to this world to to put a solution to that, addressing the the main risk areas. Let's say that Kubernetes. Uh, bring to the well, Kubernetes containers bring to the to the IT world. And as you mentioned, all right. So next question, as you mentioned about you know the importance of community here, and that's what I've I've noticed just my brief experience with Kubernetes, the overwhelming amount of of podcasts and the, you know the SIGs, the special interest groups, all these people all over the world that are constantly generating new information for people that want to start getting into you know the security element on Kubernetes. Where should they start? Hmm. It's a good question. Google? <laughs> yeah. First would be Google, of course. And then I think that any any um, uh, Kubernetes forum nowadays will have a, a portion of, of security. So choose the best one you want uh, or, or the one that you like more, better said. Um, but then probably you want to take a look to, to make your big players in the market of, of security for Kubernetes. Um, uh, there are like, I would say, maybe four companies doing good stuff on this. Um, the, the major, I would say three players have come to the, to the stage either through development or through acquisition of other companies. Um, I could say one is Palo Alto that brings uh, Prisma Cloud Compute in this case for for, for containers, um, Aqua Security that they were I think they were born for for container security so they're pretty strong in that area they're expanding as well, and we've got Sysdig which is another uh, security big player in the market for several years or many years you could say, and they're coming to the to the container world as well so um, probably they've got. Uh, different flavors to how they approach security, depending on where they come from. So they can come more from the networking side, from the data side, from the operating system side. So each of them will have a different flavor, but they will be probably addressing the same kind of problems and insecurity for containers. Okay, all right. Um, just because like we said, sometimes I feel like security is too often the forgotten piece of the puzzle. And from your experience, though, what are the main vulnerabilities or things people need to look out for in this whole world of containers and Kubernetes? What should I mean? Who's who are the bad guys out there? What are they doing? What are the risks? Yeah. Okay, that's a pretty good question. Um, I mean, um, well, first of all, is um, starting to think 
containers are not secure yes for being containers that's the the first step yeah, yeah like really mesh the problem you know it's like uh, hello i'm here i know uh, containers are not secure <laughs> thank you <laughs> so that's that would be the first step next one would be uh, analyzing the risk areas i would say that um well, I would say that would be <laughs> maybe too much for me to say, but uh, following the industry advice and the standards advice and, and so on, um, you could say that there are five major areas where containers bring new risks to the to the IT world. The first one would be the, and you could probably split them um, along the, the life cycle of containers from the very beginning when someone thinks about I'm building this in my container, you know? So the first one would be the images, okay? All this world of containers is based on the images. So you've, I've got this piece, this is my application. This is gonna be instantiated in several containers around the world, blah, 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 whatever. Okay, this piece here is your image. Is it secure? Okay, that's the first step. So in order to make that secure, you have to pay attention to development as well. So we can talk later on in four hours about DevSecOps, I, I won't talk about DevOps, I want to talk about DevSecOps because that's the, the way to do it I'm from security, sorry guys, um, at least for now. Um, then the, the the second part would be, okay, once you have done burst effort to do a secure application, let's analyze it, hopefully through automatic tools like static uh, analysis um, code tools, uh, dynamic analysis tools, automatic vulnerability testing, whatever. Okay, you have to test your image, and then you have to compare that to threat intelligence out there. All the the almost all the vendors I've mentioned, they've got their own threat intelligence behind their databases, so they can tell you that the version X you are using of component Y is vulnerable to this, this, and that. So, from the very beginning, you know your image is vulnerable. Stop. Uh, bring a fix to that because the later you try to fix that vulnerability. The, the more costly it will be. So you can get to a factor of 100. So fix it, the sooner the better. Um, this tools allow you to, to stop uh, images, vulnerable images for, from getting to production. They, they do black magic as well. Um, then that image is going to be instantiated somewhere, but uh, you have to think that your image may be not vulnerable today, but it may be vulnerable tomorrow without changing line of code, changing nothing at all. But with people, uh, well, hackers are finding vulnerabilities every day for searches as well. Um, and, and they're finding vulnerabilities that have been there for 20 years, for instance. So why is your image going to be more secure than those? Well, it could be, but it could as well not be. So you have to keep as well an eye on how secure is that image along its life, okay? Why, once you get that done, okay, my image is secure now, today, and tomorrow, then you have to keep it somewhere. You put it into a registry. That's the second uh, key piece of um, a containerized system. So everybody is using this, this registry, that registry. So you use dockerhub.com, you use um, whatever.x for getting your images. Is that image secure? Are you are relying on, let's say, open source developers, which are Thank you, open source developer. You're a lifesaver, so I'm, I'm an open source fan. But uh, maybe you've got one bad night, you're high on caffeine, you start typing and you make an error, okay? So that error gets into the image, goes into the registry, and you're a bank. And nightly, the nightly build pulls that image into your production image. So it gets 
it gets built layer by layer, but finally your the vulnerability introduced in the first library gets into your image because you are pulling, uh, um, sorry, you're pulling uh, images and blocks, building blocks from different registries, registries which are not under your control. So the best practice you can do that, there is having your own registry first. And second, having a tool that scans the registry searching for vulnerabilities. So that's another um, key piece. I mean, the registry is your safe and you are going to store there your cron jewels. So you want that to me to be quite safe, right? Okay, we've got the, the, the basics, the foundation, okay? You've got the code, you've got somewhere to keep it safe, but the black magic is done in containers through a piece called magically orchestrator. That's a great name, okay? So I, that's the, the name it has to have. Uh, when you get the orchestrator, it, it is the responsible for bringing images up, down, here, there, deciding on the workloads. This has to be a scale horizontally, or I need to launch uh, 100 containers for this peak of traffic. All great, or this dependency here, there, or the database that I have to, to connect to. So the orchestrator is the master, is the conductor of the platform. So even if you've got everything secure, a, a lack of in, of um, the proper security at the orchestrator with something like missing access, uh, proper access control for privileged users, for instance, might bring everything down. I mean, okay, you've got secure images, you've got a safe, but you gave the combination of the safe to the bad guys. Yeah. So that's next step to, to make secure that everything's fine there. And from there, I would say that uh, even if it's um, containers, it's pretty similar stuff to what we've been doing along years, which is securing the host OS, the, securing the hosts where your uh, containers are going to be running, so the infrastructure, let's say, uh, and then securing the containers and the traffic between the containers and that kind of stuff. One of the greatest things that Kubernetes brought or the containers was, well brought to, to the IT is that they're um, able to use services that have been there for, for decades maybe, but they're able to, to put them to work so they can self-discover themselves um, and build uh, service messes where these microservices can talk to these microservices and they discover each other. Now you've got 10 of them or five of them and they are able to talk to another five of them and then one, and so that happens magically, but that magic at the same time. A community inside the Kubernetes world, where yeah. it <laughs> happened between these different microservices, which previously was unthinkable that everything was all in a single, you know, sort of uh, silo. Yeah, monolithic application kind of thing, yeah. Now we've got a lot of pieces playing around, and the magic of the solutions uh, is that they are able to find themselves and to talk themselves to each other. But at the same time, that is a big risk, okay? We come from a world in security where we're used to setting up a firewall. The name says it all, it's a firewall. Uh, so you're not allowed to come in, you're allowed to come in, etc. And then you bring Kubernetes. Everybody's welcome, yeah, please, bring your own beer, whatever, you know? Yeah. So um, for security guys, that's like a creepy, let's say. A red flag, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there, we need to put something there that monitors, blocks, allows, that sort of stuff that we used to do with networks. So even if it's 
within the same host. We don't need a, an actual network behind, but the, that's a network. I mean, microservices talking to other microservices, APIs, databases, whatever. So these solutions I was talking before, for instance, they bring things like enforcers that you deploy with the container in what they call a sidecar. But that's everything that fits nicely, right? So um, within the sidecar, the sidecar, you've got the enforcer, and the enforcer will be keeping an eye on your container, on the images, on the traffic. And you will be able to gather monitoring data and deploying policies. So an image will be blocked at the container level from being instantiated, running, or whatever. But at the same time, we will gain the capabilities or the capacities that, that a firewall has but a container, at a container level. So we will be able to tell microservices not to talk to others or to talk only to one, to one kind of microservices, um, wherever the number we've got of that microservices. Uh, so the, the, the greatness of it is that um, most of them will allow you, the solutions that you can play, put in place, I mean, will allow you to, to base this protection and this um, uh, monitoring based not only on policies, which was the what we already had before, but also on behavior. So, okay, we've got here a container that has been talking to this container for 10 years. That's great. What is he talking to? This other container that he's never talked before and is transferring 10 gigabytes out of the blue. So maybe that's a problem. Let's raise a monitoring alert or let's block the traffic. So depending on, on the policies you want to put in there. So there's a lot of stuff happening there that um, I think that most of the security community has to go into, learn about it without fear, <laughs> because it's it's something that can, can threaten you or can uh, you can feel uh, fear for it, let's say. Um, but there are solutions out there for, for securing them. So the, the only thing is, don't forget about it. Yes, go into them. Yeah. Now, that's, I think that's a fantastic overview of a lot of different elements here. If we're thinking from the perspective then of whether it's data engineers or site reliability engineers, a lot of these best practices that you just mentioned, I think are perhaps, like I said, need to be on page one of I'm getting involved with uh, data and Kubernetes. I, it's not that I just start touching things. I need to sort of have a, a framework for how I go about it how I have my culture with my, my, with my workmates. You know, a lot of folks come from different backgrounds, um, from different companies, from different uh, philosophies. But would you say that there is uh, there are some core elements in terms of approaching data on Kubernetes with some of the things you just mentioned regarding risks with orchestrators or uh, you know, the use of sidecar mm -hmm. enforcers, things like that? What are like you know? What do you think are the are the key conversations that need to happen when people are approaching data, you know, security data on Kubernetes? Yeah, um, well, I think that well, that's sort of, I've talked about a, a lot of stuff in, uh, let's say, 10 minutes. That's uh, that could be for hours, okay? So there's a lot of, of things to dig in there, but uh, you're right. Where, where to start with? And, and talking more about data and, and things like that, uh, but not only data, I mean, even for application developers, they have to start thinking in, in a different way. Um, all this containerized role is focused on microservices, on the couple stuff, and uh, that brings a lot of challenges to, to what you are going to be doing, whether that it's um, application development or data. And, and you have to start thinking about as much as possible, depending on your application, on, on your data, on 
stateless versus stateful. Okay, so uh, traditionally, when you were looking at monolithic application and, and typical databases, stateful was the the typical approach. I mean, you've got one application that knows what's happening around with every process, with every user, and whenever it puts data into database, typically, let's say the data was there. You know, it was. I don't know, let's say uh, iSQL database, whatever it is, Microsoft, Oracle, Postgres, MySQL, whatever you want to put. Um, there is a schema that's a very, very uh, uh, basic concept of the database, of one of those databases, because they're schema based. So they're highly structured. Um, and they're based um, a lot on, on the, the, the ACID. Uh, it's not the acid you maybe think about, but this, uh, this is an acronym, okay, for for uh, the atomicity, consistency, and this kind of things of databases. That I'm not a database expert, so I, I won't get deep into that. But there, <laughs> let's call it acid, okay. Uh, so um, talking about that that kind of databases, they're based on being able to um, warranty you that you're storing data. You're retrieving data, and the data is current and reliable. When you start thinking about this kind of world of containers and Kubernetes, you have to start thinking about how hell I'm going to be able to make sure that the database has current information and at the same time is horizontally scalable, and everything will be and automatically as, as with the software services you know it's i think it's easier to make uh, a scalable application than a, a scalable database so um i think that you have to go and look into the modern databases solutions and and probably you will have to change um your or, or you will need a cultural shift in what you're doing with databases you have to start looking you okay we we have ha have had for decades the the sql structured databases but uh, we also have non-sql databases like i don't know the um uh no name coming oh sorry mariadb is, is is it one i'm sorry if i'm making the error well, no sql databases basically um where you can store information in a less structured way i mean you use json that's the language or you put data uh and you don't have that schema so uh, tight. So it will help you uh, managing applications in a less stateful way. So you will, will be able to store data dynamically will, without having to call the DBA to restructure the database for you in one, two weeks or months. Uh, so you will be able to, to develop a lot faster. But at the same time, that kind of applications are not that focused on ensuring that integrity of the database. So you will have to decide at different points of what you are doing, whether you're doing or you're using a kind of database or the other, whether you want to have high throughput in writing, high throughput in reading or reliability. So that's a key thing that you have to start looking when moving into this world with databases. It's you are not just relying on a database anymore. You have a lot of databases, they're all different and you, you can combine them. I mean, it's not that you have to buy into one, for instance. Uh, you could say, um, well, I'm now into Redis cache, which is, well, Redis, sorry for the cache. Um, Redis DB, which is a, a memory database, okay? 
uh, okay, what if the computer shuts down or is power off or whatever happens in the cloud, you know, that automatically happened, the container is shut off. So your database is gone. Okay, that's not good. Um, okay, so the, the world has come to consider that probably this kind of databases are based used as, as, as a cache, you know? You put something that is gonna be there for just a brief amount of time because you're going to read it again and that's all. And you don't worry about the data being there or not, or it's going to be put into a final um, hard disk, let's say database, a hard database, whether, whether it is SQL or non-SQL, but something that is written to disk. And if there's no power, it won't be lost. So depending on the information, you have to, to, to manage this different kind of databases and depending on what you want to achieve from them. Do you want throughput? Go to mem. You want durability? Go to disk. So it depends on that. It also depends on whether you want writing throughput, for instance, a login system. Okay, you want to log uh, every event of the operating system or of your application. How many times are you going to read them? I mean, I don't know if there's a bug or monthly just to check everything's right or even daily. I mean, it's just once a day. Okay, but you will be writing, writing, writing every second, every millisecond. So you want something that can digest a lot. So you have to look into a database that can grow horizontally, but doesn't worry too much about giving things to you back. Okay, so you, you focus on, on that kind of stuff. But what if you, this main cache, that's right, the Redis, so on, that's great for caching, speeding things like writing and so on. But what about reading? Um, I'm sorry, I'm a developer. I'm bound to PostgreSQL. So I have to have this kind of database, but I want to have more reading throughput. Okay, you have to focus on read replicas. You have to split your database. So you've got a master, it has the data, and it's able to, almost immediately, immediately propagate changes to the read replicas. And all those read replicas won't be able to get in just any data. But if you're, for instance, uh, monitoring the weather, you know, the weather doesn't change that often. I mean, it's sunny. It could be, there could be a storm, but for instance, something like temperature is gonna be changing along the day, but you don't want a millisecond measure. You, you want, talking about weather, maybe talking about critical loads, you could think about something else, but talking about weather, you will be talking about, okay, let's take the temperature be five minutes, okay? And is it critical that the temperature I read back is the most accurate, or is it good enough that I guessed, not the last one, but the second to last one? Is it okay? Yeah, then the schema, uh, well, not the schema, sorry, we can mix things here, but the the architecture you will be deploying your database with uh, will be different because that is it's not that critical anymore to have the latest value. So um, you have to think about all how all these pieces interact when you move to containers because maybe some of those more monolithic parts of a database system, which can be the SQL structured monster that has everything in it doesn't have to be scaled horizontally that often because uh, first, it's very difficult. And second, maybe you don't need it. Maybe you just can have copy of the data you need to read in different other places so you can give um, um, a high read throughput 
okay, reading throughput. And for other kind of, of data, maybe you've got intermediate databases that are able to ingest a lot of data very quickly, do some processing. I don't know, there's still big data here, like Hadoop, Elasticsearch, or that's Kafka, whatever you want to throw in, okay? Let's bring more buzzwords here. But you can use all those technologies to both do some analytics of your, of your data, ingest them in a different way, and maybe once you get the insights of what you want really to store, you can bring them into the reliable structure, durable um, database you've got. Or maybe you won't. You, I, I don't know. It depends on the application a lot. Yeah, but I think, I think this is a really good point. And I think that uh, through this conversation, a lot of what I'm getting in terms of valuable lessons for a lot of folks out there in the community is this element of culture that whether it's DevSecOps, whether it's the experience that we had of a very quick migration to the cloud, um, and then the subsequent lack of control of lots of people spinning up VMs without thinking about um, optimization, without keeping cost in mind, probably missing a lot of security protocols simultaneously, then having to retroactively sort of rewrite the book on how we're gonna do these things. I think in a lot of ways too, what you're saying about the, you know, we have scalable applications, it means we're gonna have scalable databases and I want it now. It's like, well, what, you know, what is it that we really want here? Uh, what is the information that we're asking for? What, what uh, I think we kind of need to analyze our own internal data as companies to see what it is that we're after. And then based on that, we can make a technical decision here or opt for this tool there. I think sometimes it's like what you said is that uh, people so easily become victims to buzzwords and hype that there's just in this insistence and you know immediacy of that we we've got to jump in on this right now we're going to miss the boat um, and sometimes it's probably better to take a deep breath you know sit down with everybody see where are we at there are going to be multiple conversations that will need to happen with uh, a lot of different stakeholders and 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 security as we said previously is no exception. Um, with that in mind, uh, what, what are you excited to see in the future with, uh, with Kubernetes, particularly regarding data and security? What, what, looks, what looks exciting or promising in the next few years as this project continues? Well, um, uh, I, I would mention any solution or technology, but, but maybe more concepts if you want to like it or, or if I may call them that way. Uh, I think that both data and security are foundational stuff for applications. So uh, as we as we said before in the conversation, all this um, hype, all these solutions for Kubernetes and so on have, have come from um, the developer side, let's say, um, not always looking at the data or the security or other operational items that you need for running the, the application. And I think that the future, the, not not maybe I'm not talking about five years, I'm talking about this year, you should be doing last year actually. Um, but the future is being able to, to fully integrate the data architect, data scientists, all these people that know what they have to do with the data and the developers together. And same with security, the security architect, the security uh, people, the, the operation centers or whatever, they have to fit all the three of, of, of the pieces, they have to fit into one. Actually, there are four pillars, if I might say. We've got the developers, okay? We have talked about security, we have talked about data, but we've got operations instead of uh, as well, you know? So in, in DevOps, that's, that's done by development or not, you know? So operations has been traditionally 
a, a different beast as well as, as with security. So developers were or, or are quite happy when they get to a DevOps um, development lifecycle and they're able to click, click, click once they have developed and it gets into production. But a lot of the drivers of the cloud adoption, uh, as you have said, like costs, cost saving, um, security that we have been sold about the cloud become um, something that it's not true. I mean, if I allow everybody to put anything into production anytime, um, we will see costs rocketing, absolutely. Um, if the same will be ha happening with security, but not rocketing, but going down deep. Um, so uh, all all, the, all these pillars have to play together. And, and the database is the same. I mean, I've seen teams, DevOps teams, not working with security at all. So that's not good. Not really working with operations, you know, those dark guys, the operators from hell that they're they may be close in the room, like, I don't know, they have to be great people, you know. Um, we are cool, we are developers, you know. Uh, so uh, they need to realize that the operations keep them running because otherwise their, their application is not going to be running and, and play together with the operations teams. And it happens the same with the operations teams, actually. They have to start thinking about developers because if you don't have, you have no application to run, you have no system to run. So both both jobs are quite weird. You know, it's like one cannot live without the other. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it's the same with data. You know, it's, uh, okay, you've got a cool application. What does it do? Oh, I've got followers. I've got um, trending. I've got whatever. Throw in a word. Excels that are strong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you will need data behind. What kind of data? You will need data to read data, just data, write data, analyze data. Data is behind, okay? As they used to be, used to say, data is the new bacon. Well, it's not the new bacon. I mean, data has been the bacon all the time, okay? Because data means money. I mean, it's whether the data is uh, for consuming in form A, form B, or whatever, it's where the business are making profit off. And so data is behind everything. You need the applications because otherwise you can't handle the data. And you need the operations because otherwise you cannot run the application. So the three of them need, need each other a lot. So the future is being able to make them play together. And, and luckily for us, we've got a lot of bad guys out there. So it's not for threatening anybody, but we know for a fact that they are there. And, and that's what they do for, and I mean, they do it either for fun or for a living because they're so actually so so structured so well organized that they have become a service that you can buy hacking as a service so you can go into a, a service and say hey guys i need 10000 usernames and passwords for x amount of dollars or whatever and you get them so that's that's the reality so security has been thrown it's been there all the time but now it's been thrown into a major player in how we deploy things, because otherwise we will be opening the door of our house. So we have to make aware developers that they need the others. We need to make the others aware that they need developers as well. And we need to make them play together. So I think that so far in the development operations world, um, the DevSecOps movement, let's let's call it movement or whatever you want. Yeah. Um, it's gaining a lot of momentum right now. 
the problem it has is that, uh, or the issue, let's say, um, it's that there's no uh, one size fits all. So my company uses uh, tool A, B, and C. How do I secure it? Well, you've got X and Z. That's great. My company uses the same tool. Can I do the same? Could be. You can maybe use them, but there's a lot of cultural and people and processes and, and that kind of stuff that we cannot control with a computer uh, that has to be thrown into. So you have to analyze how you do th things, how the, you do the work actually, and either you change the pieces or how you use them, or you choose how you do the current work. And the same happens with data. So uh, the, the only thing is that data is not into the line. I mean, it's not uh, DevSecOps data or DevDataSecOps data is, underneath i mean if you want to develop an application as i said before you need data and and the same is going to happen with both security and operations because at the end of the day the tools we use for security and the tools we use for applications needs data and they their applications so if you're monitoring a system i don't mind what you use use grafana use prometheus use a combination of them whatever you use you need to store the logs you need to analyze the logs. You get, need to get the insights and probably store them and produce business intelligence, you know? So yeah, um, data is underneath. You cannot live without data. So data has to come to Kubernetes and has to, we have to find the final, well, we, they have to find, because I'm, I'm security today, let me put my hat. Um, so they have to find a way to, to fit into the equation of Kubernetes, because Kubernetes is a great thing. It has come to stay. I mean, it's it's been for years now, and it's evolving, evolving, evolving. And every day is better than the day before. I mean, it's, uh, you have to, to really struggle to, to keep up with the, with the speed of things. Uh, and they need to fit into the equation. It's not just anymore that, well, you, you do whatever you want to do in Kubernetes, and then give me the data to my traditional data warehouse no it's not that anymore you have you're moving to kubernetes you're moving to the clouds to the cloud you're getting away from your data center so you have to start using new tools and and use this kind of different databases and different engines like the, the Elasticsearch set of tools and so on um, for analyzing data for storing the streaming rising events so you have to change the mind and the data um not database that means well that's a, a, a term that it's quite old school let's say by the data people let's say okay data people has to start thinking about something beyond the data for instance events events that comes from from the applications right that should be no, data tools right now can rise events, can create events, and the application will react to the event, or other data will react to the event. So there's a huge mix of what we've got in there that the data people has to jump in. That's they have to jump into the bubble. So it's it's not easy, but they have to, to start step by step thinking beyond data. Okay, I've been so comfortable for years in my Oracle. SQL database, why should I go out there? Because world is changing, man. So you better go out there, start through the door, and start looking to worse around. And, and, and thinking about how could I improve 
the way I do things. Traditionally, I was uh, scaling. I needed to scale my database. So I had an Oracle, huge machine. OK, need more power. Uh, a larger machine would make it. OK, but there are limits to that. And you won't benefit a lot from the cloud environment if you go that way. Where the cloud excels, I think it's in horizontal scalability. And Kubernetes fills awesomely into that. It's about horizontal scalability. I've got X nodes, and they will be bringing containers. I need more power. Bring more nodes. That's it. It's, mm -hmm. I don't mind if they're big, small. Well, I do mind, actually. But it's not the key of the conversation. So if the uh, container or, sorry, the, the host is this size, I will be able to do, I don't know, two containers. If it's this size, I will be able to put 20 containers, whatever that is. But if I need more power and I only have this size of container, sorry, of host, I will put more, 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 and they will work. Okay, of course, there are implications, performance, communications, a lot of stuff, but you're able to do it. So you're able to leverage on that horizontal scalability, and that means cloud. Because in traditional data centers, it, it's quite difficult to do any, well, not only horizontal, but also um, vertical scalability, because once you run out of the, let's say, spare resources that you provisioning, provision like six months ago, thinking about the business, you run out now today, what else? Well, cloud procurement. And depending on the size of your company, that means six months. Okay, So in six months, you will be able to purchase the hardware that you will be setting up in another six months, and you need it yesterday. You will get it one year later. So in the cloud, you will be able, with Kubernetes and this kind of technology, to provision anything like a snap, where a snap, of course, it depends how you do things. Could be 20 minutes, one hour, but it's not one year. Okay, and in containers, it might mean three seconds. So the sooner databases start thinking on how to leverage on this horizontal scalability, the better. That's I think that's the key piece of the database on containers. How can you leverage that ability to scale out nodes? and without losing wherever you need from data, whether it's this asset or the the, uh, the integrity of the data, or making sure that whatever, whenever you read anything, it is the very, 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 very um, last data or not. So um, all that kind of considerations come into play when doing this. And, and that's the, the, the key thing, I think, that's from not being an, a data expert, I can say to, to data people. Wow. I mean, very, very strong explanation. A lot of things to think about there. I think for me, the two biggest things would probably be one, a very famous uh, saying from Frank Zappa was that if we don't, um, you can't have progress if you don't deviate from the norm. So if we're expecting different results, we can't be using the same procedures and way of looking at things. Absolutely. And I think the other thing as well, too, that I really like what you mentioned is how you have these four different pillars of, of data, of developers, of operations and security that frequently are uh, in their own kind of bubble, we can say. And there are a lot of technological you know, explanations or way of looking at things, perspectives and stuff like that. But I think a common theme in this in this conversation has very been uh, one of, about culture. And that I think there really needs to be a culture of empathy, mutual understanding, and a desire to collaborate. And that the more that people can understand each other, the better everyone is going to do their jobs. 
um, and that there is this notion of interdependency, that everyone in one way or another is going to need somebody else's help at a different point in time. So it's the same thing as like working in a building. You need to be nice to everybody because you never know when you're going to need their help um, and or, or inside a company. It doesn't matter. Uh, so I think I think those are very, very strong insights, particularly because, like I said, there's so frequently a technological focus, but there's a very important human aspect in all of this, an emotional aspect of, you know, not uh, hating somebody just because you don't understand or you think they're, they live better or that they, they have to deal with less difficulties. Of course, each one of those pillars has its own unique sorts of culture and, and different elements. But I think the the more that people can can try to empathize and and put themselves in somebody else's shoes and 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 really think about all the folks that are out there trying to do as, the, as best they can and and no one wakes up thinking you know how can I ruin the operations guys days or the or the folks in in, in database um, that if everyone sort of has a, a positive intent and motivation towards trying to to make things better that that's going to create the, the the best sort of climate where real change will happen as you mentioned as well too that it's not just as simple as copy paste. If this is what they did in this company, that's what's going to work for mine. And when we're talking about scalable databases, it's, it's no exception about what do I want to get out of that? What is it that I'm looking for? And what kind of conditions do I need to create in order to guarantee that that's going to happen? Um, with that, I think it's definitely more than enough for one day. <laughs> it was a very complete full conversation. I think we can stay here for a few more hours and keep this going, um, but we'll definitely have to have you back on. Um, I see it. Is there anything you like to add where people can find you in, in Twitter, LinkedIn, anything? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty easy to find out there. Um, the, I, I would like to highlight that you got the word right. That's empathy we need, not only in technology, but let's talk about technology today. So empathizing with the other departments. Yeah, that's that's key. Uh, for any of the subjects I've talked about, well, obviously security would be my, my best, but uh, I, I would try to help in, in any, any of the subjects. Um, you can find me on Twitter at AsiraFaceta. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, AsiraFaceta as well. There are not many of those. Um, and Facebook, I reserve it for <laughs> personal stuff, so I, I don't typically do business over Facebook. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm on different social networks, happy to receive your comments, happy to receive any questions you may have, and I'm happy to answer and help. Great. So, Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Mark, for, for the opportunity, and it's very, very interesting and, and joyful. Yeah. Great first conversation to have in the data on Kubernetes community. Certainly won't be the last. It will be difficult to meet this high of a standard. Thank you all very much for watching, and thank you very much again. I see you. Thank you. Bye. Take care.